0: Come to the table,
1: come to the table,
0: just sit down and rest a while, just sit down and rest a while, come
1: to the table. How y'all doing? here? Old school. Paper. I don't have an iPad, so, you know, I go old school, but that's all good. How you guys doing? Everybody doing good? Happy Memorial Day weekend. Um, I know that we celebrate Memorial Day weekend with, like, hot dogs and hamburgers and all that stuff, and that's, that's all great, and being together with family and friends, but remember, in all that celebration, remember what it's about, you know, that we are are remembering those who uh, sacrificed everything uh, so that we can have the freedoms that we have to come to a place like this and to worship and to freely be able to worship our God uh, wherever and whenever we want. And so um, just remember that, okay? And some of you may have had loved ones, uh, grandfathers or fathers, um, uncles, whatever, that may have uh, given the ultimate sacrifice for that. And so um, just remember that while you're... uh, hanging out with family and friends um, this week, all right? So, when I was nine years old, um, most, probably like most of you around here that grew up like in the late 70s, early 80s, um, I mean, being outside was everything, right? I mean, we didn't have, I mean, we had Atari, but <laughs> that was lame, Uh You know, or pong or whatever. And so we spent our afternoons, our days, our evenings outside. And a big thing for me was riding the bike, riding the bike, right? Riding the bike all over town. Parents had no idea where I was. They didn't have Life 360. They didn't have a chip on me. They didn't have a way to track where I was. They just trusted that I was going to be fine. And so my friends and I, we would ride our bikes all over town. And uh, there was this really big hill near the Piggly Wiggly grocery store. Now, this is in Minnesota, so I was still pretty young then. And, uh, and so there was this big hill. My friends would ride their bikes down, and my parents always, you know, I was like, hey, Mom and Dad, I, you know, my friends ride that and all the time. I should do that. like, nah, that's not a good idea, John. You shouldn't do that. So don't. Don't do that. Well, <laughs> a few days later, uh, I'm at the top of this hill, and uh, I'm looking down, and I'm thinking, this is really, really steep. And my friends, they all zipped down it. And I was a pretty good bike rider. And I thought, oh, I got this. I totally got this. And then doubt and fear, doubt and fear, second-guessing. I started to second-guess myself, and I thought, I I don't know if I can do this. This is really dumb. I shouldn't do this. And my brain said no, but my friends said go. (laughs) And I did, and it didn't end well. We'll just say that. It didn't end well, Uh, I crashed, I rolled pretty much all the way down the hill, bumping off rocks and sticks and whatever else was in the way, rhinoceroses, hippopotamuses, I don't know. There was a lot of stuff in the way on the way down to the bottom of that hill and it seemed like I was falling forever Uh, but eventually I came to a stop and uh, that second guessing that I did at the top where I psyched myself out and freaked myself out, uh, that I blame it on that. It had nothing to do with my bike riding skills um, because I was awesome. And uh, it had everything to do with the fact that I second-guessed that I was actually going to be able to do that. Well, many, many years later, when I was 34 years old, I had uh, moved to Kansas City from Texas. And um, I met this beautiful young lady. And, And I was smitten. I was smitten, right? That's a good word, smitten. Anybody ever been smitten? I hope so. Uh, Anyway, so I I thought she was awesome. I thought she was amazing. I thought she was beautiful. I thought she was easy to talk to. And she loved to fish. The perfect woman. The perfect woman. Okay? Uh, She loved Jesus. She had a great smile. All these things. But then I began to second guess myself. I was like, well, she's way too good for me. She's much younger than myself. She's way too pretty for me. Uh, She's... She's just, she's not going to be interested at all. And so I was heartbroken before I even gave her a chance to break my heart. Anybody ever been there? I began to second guess that I was awesome enough, that God had created me to be awesome and to be great and to be wonderful. I second guessed myself. And so I had been praying for a long, long time for God to show me the woman that he had in store for me. And my mom was praying like 20 times harder, right? I mean, she was like, you're 34 years old. You need to find a woman. I need grandkids. I was like, well, I can give you grandkids, but if you want me to do it the right way, got to find, you know, got to get married and all that stuff. So uh, anyways, she prayed a lot. I was praying a lot. Uh in anyways, uh fortunately I got up enough courage to ask her out. And uh on our sec technically technically our second date, uh I I laid the best kiss I could possibly muster up on this woman, <laughs> and she was hooked. And next month we're gonna celebrate 20 years of marriage <laughs> to that lady right there. All right. You guys remember last week when Pastor Neil talked about David and Goliath? Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. I think they do anyways. If you don't know the story of David and Goliath, little guy, big guy, big sword, little stone, smack, boom, dead, head off, victory. Okay, that's the condensed version of it. So David stood before Goliath and he did not second guess that he was gonna be victorious, did he? He wasn't like, hmm, maybe this was not a good idea. He didn't say that. He was like confident, as confident could be that he had this this guy licked, right? That he put all of his trust in God and he didn't second guess himself. He didn't second guess God and he knew that this was the right thing to do and he did it and he was victorious and end of story, right? I want to have faith like that and I hope you do too. I don't want to constantly second guess myself, and I definitely don't want to second guess God. But all too often, that's what we do. That's what I do. And 99.9% of the time when I have an opportunity to speak, it's because it's exactly what I'm dealing with at that moment because God needs to teach me something. And so hopefully, you guys can learn something today too. Because I know for me, there's too many times in my life where God has put a situation out before me and he said, John, I want you to go do that. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. And then as I start to go, I'm like, hmm, wait a minute. I'm not sure. God, you got the right guy. I don't think this is supposed to be me. I'm not good enough for this. I can't do that. I'm definitely not gonna do that. I just, I can't, God, you got the wrong person. Or I second guess him. I may have the confidence in myself at a certain situation, but then I start to lack the confidence in God. And I second guess, uh, maybe that was last night's pizza talking right now. That's not God. That's totally not God saying that right now. There's no way that that's God. That's just me hearing things, right? And we second guess our creator. And so uh, last week, Pastor Neil's message was titled Crazy Faith. And today's message is titled, Second Guessing. And, and I, I want today's message, or I think today's message will, will piggyback uh, on last week's uh, message um, and just give us another look at faith, uh, maybe from a different perspective, maybe from that doubting side, from that second guessing side that, that a lot of us tend to deal with um, on a day-to-day basis. And so we're going to take a look at the uh, Israelites finally making it to the promised land and uh, how they're second guessing, uh, how, the, how they uh, second guessing God all the time kept many of them from entering the promise. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you today. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's in this room and those that may be watching online, either right now or will watch later um, this week or whatever. God, I just pray that you would open our ears to hear the words that you wanna speak. And uh, God, right now, I ask that you would um, just give me clarity of speech, uh, of mind, of heart, God, I pray that each and every one of us, God, right now, our hearts would just be in the right place, mine included, Lord, to uh, to speak your truth and for each one of us to be able to hear it and to learn and to grow from it. God, I pray for Pastor Neil and his family as they're taking a few days away this week just to, to hang out and have uh, fun together as a family, Lord, that you would just bless them where they're at. Um, God, again, we give this time to you and we thank you for this opportunity. I just pray that you would be with us right now and that uh, your voice... Um, and your words, God, would be heard uh, not only in our heads, but in our hearts as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, in James 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, But when you ask him, be sure... Sorry, I do have my glasses on. Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So, when we ask for something, right, when we go before our God and we say, God, I really, really need your help with this, or I really, really need this in my life, or I really, whatever, whatever your situation is, whatever it is that you're praying for, whether it be guidance or reassur- reassurance in a decision, uh, our faith should be in Him alone. We shouldn't waver. We shouldn't second guess the answer that He gives us. We should just go for it, right? But there's so many times in our life that we second guess ourselves, and that's where I want to start today: is second guessing ourselves. Uh, have you ever been in a situation where uh, maybe the decision has been made? You've made anybody here ever make a decision ever? Come on, okay, you've made a decision, right? And uh, and You've gone over all the pros and cons, all you planners, right? You write out your little chart, pros, this, cons, that, right? You made the decision based on your pros and cons, okay? You've gone over all the pros and cons. You checked out all the options, option A, option B, option C, option F, right? In case something happens to go wrong, right? So you've got all that, you've researched every possible outcome, and you finally trusted your gut. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. This thing is not fitting my head because his ears are different than mine. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So now you're ready to go for it, right? You're ready to go, and uh, or you've already gone. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe you're moving to a new city or a new state. Maybe you're going to college and or whatever. You're going to somewhere different, right? Uh, maybe you started a new relationship, and now you're smack dab in the middle okay you've already made the decision you've already gone for it and now you're smack dab in the middle of it. it's too late to turn back and then this question pops into your mind did i make the right decision hmm when i moved to kansas city from austin texas it was in 2002 right after like two days after if you guys lived here then you know uh you guys had this horrible ice storm in February of 2002, horrible. And as I'm driving through Oklahoma, I'm seeing trees with ice hanging on them, like Oklahoma's not supposed to look like this. I've been here before. And then I got here and there was literally three inches of ice on the grass. And I was like, hmm. And I had to move all my furniture from the rental truck to the second floor of my apartment across about from here to the sound booth of a frozen tundra. And I thought, well, at least I don't have to carry it. you know, it was kind of like shuffleboard, I had my mom and dad sweeping really fast. And um, anyways, we landed everything right where we needed to go. But then we had to go up the stairs that were full of salt, which is slippery, like you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, luckily, it was, the ice was gone. But I started thinking, oh man, I just left, like, Austin, Texas, it was 80 degrees, and I'm coming here, the f- frozen Tantra, <laughs> I thought, uh, okay. I was beginning to doubt that I made the right decision, I'll just put it that way, all right? Um, and it wasn't until I got settled, until I started to make some friends, until I uh, got established in the church that I was working at at the time, um, and, and until I, you know, met the woman who became my wife, did I really know that God had sent me here for a reason. took a long time. And so up until that point, just wondering, you know, did I miss an opportunity somewhere better? Did I miss, you know, am I going to like the Midwest? I don't know. I've never lived here before. I mean, I went to college in Springfield, but didn't live here technically. Uh, I'd grown up in Minnesota and Texas, like two extremes, like Frozen in, like, the desert, kind of. Not really, but anyways. Like, two extremes. And all of a sudden, now I'm in the middle. So am I going to like it here, you know? Am I going to become a Chiefs fan ever? It took a while. I'll be honest. It did take a while. But I did. I did become a Chiefs fan because up until then, I hated the Chiefs. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm like one of those guys that gets on bandwagon when they win. I'm like, all right, you know. Uh, and I, some of you guys like that, too. Um, although I still love the Vikings, and they've never won. So, uh, go figure. But, you know... I had all these questions, you know, like maybe I missed it, maybe I shouldn't have come here. You know, what did I make the right decision? And uh, and so we often second guess ourselves based on fear and doubt. And it's not wrong to do that from time to time, unless it becomes like this pattern in your life or in my life. Have you ever known someone who just can't commit to anything? <laughs> like you're like, okay, hey. Do you want to do this or do you want to do how many of you okay this is this happens all the time how many of you uh if you're gonna go out to eat with some friends or your spouse and you're like hey where do you want to go I don't care I don't care I don't know I don't know let's go here no let's go there no let's go here let's go anybody ever experienced that okay why why do we do that because we can't commit right we keep second guessing Taco Bell Taco John's Bad, 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 you know. But anyways, I'm just saying, you know, it's like, well, do I want this? And then you get there and you're like, oh, do you want, Do I want this or do I want that? No, I don't, know. do I, yeah, yeah, And we just second guess constantly. But there's people that just can't commit sometimes to anything and, uh, you know, they won't take risks. Uh, they just kind of stay put and they never seem to make any big decisions in life. Maybe you've done this. Maybe I've done this. Maybe we know people who have. Um, and so maybe... You or I, we struggle sometimes with making decisions uh, and just then learning to stick with them, right? You make a decision and you just stick with it, right? Um, Too often we make a decision and then like five seconds in, we're like, oh, never mind, and we back back out, right? Um, You ever been water skiing before? Anybody? You got to commit, right? If you ever want to get out of the water and not drown, you have to commit that you're going to eventually like Lean back, put your feet in the right place, and stand up. Because if you don't, you know, <laughs> you know like the water's, eating you know, and it's horrible. Um, but you've got to commit. Um, sometimes we make the right decisions, and sometimes we don't. See, that's the problem. We always think we have to make the right decision. But sometimes making the wrong decision, um, we can learn some things from that, right? So sometimes we make the right decision, sometimes we don't. And we have to learn to push through the struggles, the regrets the tears the fears the doubts all those things and realize that things can and oftentimes will get better and eventually we'll see uh like the fruit in the decisions that we make right there's also this thing called life experience we all like like remember when you would sit down with like your grandpa i used to love to sit down with my grandpa because he would, first of all, he loved Tweety and Sylvester. That was his thing. And, uh, and he also loved the Roadrunner and Coyote thing. And he would sit on the, I can't do that, but he would sit uh, on this couch and he would sit there. And he it was always barefooted and he'd rub his feet together. And that meant his Grandpa was getting tired. But he would get up early in the morning and he'd put on his little AM radio with the little one-string earbud thing that you'd stick in your ear. And he'd, and I'd wake up and we'd go visit him and he'd be out there listening to the news or whatever he was listening to. Um, but I'd love to sit down with him and just talk. And he worked in the steel mill in Chicago for many, many years, and he had lots of funny, funny stories. I um, won't go into them today, but it was fun to just to sit with him and to listen to the stories of the things that, that happened in his life. And, and those were all life experiences, and all of us have different life experiences. And some of those life experiences come from decisions that we made that maybe weren't always the right decisions. But at least, you know, we got past the second guessing and we did something, right? We, we finally did something. And so experiencing life, whether it be good or bad, the ups and downs, the trials, the triumphs, um, you know, we experience life that way. And, and in that, are we trusting ourselves and are we trusting our God? Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.14 uh, says, uh, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. So, what does that mean? Uh, basically, it means this when we don't get hung up on fear, doubt, second guessing, and overanalyzing our decisions, and we trust in ourselves and we acknowledge that God is in control, we can give Him thanks and realize that He is leading us into success and that He gets the recognition. Right? It's not about us, it's about Him. Getting the recognition. You see, God wants us to rely on him when making decisions. But he also gives us the knowledge to make decisions. Sometimes people will sit there and say, well, I'm just going to wait until God tells me what to do. It, you, the story about, you know, like the helicopter that comes over and the guy's on the roof and he's like, Lord, help me please. And, he, you know, a helicopter comes and a boat comes and all these things. Like and nobody would you know the guy wouldn't leave the roof and get rescued from the floodwaters, and he's like, well, I'm just waiting for God to save me. He's like, well, He sent you a boat. He sent you a helicopter. He sent you you know all these things. And so sometimes we sit around and we wait and we think that God's just going to drop, like drop the the thing right in front of our face. But He also gives us knowledge to use uh, and make decisions that you know hopefully we've prayerfully considered. But He's the one that has given us that knowledge to be able to use those decisions and to help ourselves, right? And so, yes, he wants us to to rely on him, but he also wants us to use the knowledge that he's given us and to not second guess ourselves. Psalms 139, 13 through 16 says, uh, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be outnumbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. God knows every single minute detail about you and about me everything and he thinks about us all the time like more than there are grains of sand that's a lot there's a lot of grains of sand just in a like a cup full of sand there's a lot of grains of sand and yet we don't get like a measurement it just says the outnumber the grains of sand so I just assume that means everywhere right and, uh, and so God knows everything about us. He put us together, uh, he put together this complex body, mind, and spirit, and he did it out of love. Romans 8.14 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So are we letting the spirit of God lead us? If you call yourself a child of God, if you believe in him and, and you love him and all those things, are you letting him lead you? God wants what's best for His children, just as any parent would, and He wants us to believe in ourselves, just as He believes in us. So, our first point today is this: um, so, how to avoid second guessing yourself and God? Number one is uh, believe in yourself. You are a child of God. Believe in yourself. You are a child of God. Romans eight twenty eight says. And we know that God causes everything, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God believes in you. He does. So we should believe in ourselves. And we should also believe in him. So don't second guess yourself so often, right? God created you just as you are. And in your eyes, in his eyes, in his eyes, you're perfect. In his eyes, like, he doesn't, God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't create junk, right? God knows exactly what he's doing. When he created you, he created you to be exactly who you are. And maybe you are an indecisive person. Maybe that's your personality. You know what? Step out in confidence and don't second guess yourself so much. Because like I just said, believe in yourself because God believes in you. And he wants you. He puts something out there in front of you to to, to do uh, or to go for, then go for it. Don't second-guess yourself, and certainly don't second-guess him. So now we're going to move on to that second part about second-guessing God. Uh, And so uh, I know that we all know the story, or maybe we don't, uh, of the Israelites being led out of Egypt and out of slavery. So we know that God has chosen Moses, who in and of himself had some second-guessing issues, right? He's like, oh, not me, God. (laughs) Not me. Wrong guy. Um, anyways, he had chosen Moses to lead them to the promised land, but we also know that there was a lot of disobedience and second-guessing gu- second um, Moses' leadership and also second-guessing God. And so instead of trying to go and tell this entire story uh, of for over covering 40 years, which would take me a long, long time, okay? I love you guys too much to keep you here till like that long. So, uh, there is, uh, the Bible project. You ever heard of it? If you have the it. The book of
0: Numbers
2: gets overlooked, partly because it, it has is. a really boring name, which is a shame in the Hebrew tradition. The book's name is Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness. And it's an epic travel log about Israel's journey through the desert on their way to the land promised to Abraham. Now this pilgrimage should only take about two weeks on foot, but instead it takes them about
0: 40 years. That's crazy. It's practically half of someone's lifetime.
2: Yeah, it's a very long camping trip with lots of interesting stories. But let's remember, it's most helpful to back up and start with how this book is designed. Right. So the book is broken up into five sections. There are three wilderness locations broken up by two road trips that link all the pieces together. The first wilderness section is Mount Sinai, right here on the map. And then in the second section they travel to a region called Paran. A whole bunch of things happen here in the wilderness of Paran. And then in this fourth section is Israel's road trip to Moab.
0: The book ends with a large section in the wilderness of Moab, right across the Jordan River from the Promised Land.
2: Now. Through all of these sections, the storyline just flows like a gripping dramatic movie. Everything starts great, but then the trip goes horribly wrong, and it all ends with the final redemptive moment, the surprising act of God's grace. So
0: let's jump into the story. It all begins... At the wilderness at Mount Sinai. And we've become really familiar with this mountain.
2: Yeah, if you remember, Israel came here after Egypt and they formed a covenant with God here, got the Ten Commandments here, built the tabernacle here. And they've been at this mountain for one full year. And now they take a census to number the people as they prepare to leave. Right, and they're given these instructions for how to organize all those people in the camp. God's presence in the tabernacle and then the tribe of Levi and the priests around it and then the rest of the tribes around them. And this pattern, it's this visual symbol for how God's holiness is at the center of their existence as a people. And they're told that when the cloud of God's presence moves, they're to pack up and travel with it. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant is carried by the Levites out in front, and then the tribe of Judah, and on and on, and this order is also a symbol for how God's holy presence is their leader and guide through the wilderness. We begin the second section of the book with enthusiasm as they leave Mount Sinai and
0: travel up to Paran. God's with them, everything's organized. This is going to be great. But it's
2: not great. After just three days on the road, the people are complaining about their hunger and thirst, and then even Moses' brother and sister start badmouthing him in front of all the people.
0: Not a great start. But now we're into the third section, the wilderness of Paran. This is where they send the 12 spies to scout out the promised land. Two of those spies come back, and
2: they're really optimistic. But the other 10 are freaked out, and they don't trust God, and they go around saying, we're going to get annihilated in there. And so they start a mutiny, and they try to appoint a new leader who's going to take all the people back to Egypt. And so basically, they are refusing to go into the promised land, and God honors their choice. He says that this generation is going to wander for 40 years and die in the wilderness, and only their kids will get to enter the promised land.
0: You know, this story here gets brought up many times in the Bible by different authors.
2: Yeah, and, and it always serves as a reminder that while God remains faithful to his people and his promises, he will honor their choices. He'll, he'll let them waste their whole lives if they choose to live in rebellion. Okay, so the trip's been a disaster so far. And it gets worse here in this fourth section as they're traveling to Moab. Even Moses has a moment of rebellion and is disqualified from entering the promised land. Then there's another rebellion among the people It results in this snake attack. And what makes all these rebellions even worse is that every step of the way, God has been providing. He's been offering forgiveness. He's been giving them food and water and this crazy stuff called manna. Yeah, what is that stuff? Yeah, no no idea. But in spite of all this, they keep complaining, and they say that they wish they had died in slavery in Egypt. If I was God, I would just give up on these guys. You would think. But that's what makes this story in the final section so surprising. Israel has just arrived in Moab, and the king of Moab is freaked out that this huge group of people is traveling through his land. So he hires this pagan sorcerer named Balaam to pronounce curses on them. This guy means business. Yeah, and so Balaam, he says, Okay, I'm going to pray to the Hebrew God and let's see what happens. And three different times he attempts to curse them, but each time he finds that he can utter only blessing. Most surprising is the last blessing, where he prophesies that out of Israel will rise a victorious king. And this king is somehow going to be connected to God's promise to Abraham to bless all nations through this family. So here's Israel rebelling down in the camp, totally unaware that up in the hills, God is protecting and even blessing them.
0: The book ends here in Moab. Israel's getting ready to go into the promised land. They count up everyone again, just like at the beginning. They're leaving the
2: old generation behind, including Moses. But before they leave Moses, he gives them his last words of warning and wisdom. And that speech is what the next book, Deuteronomy, is all about.
1: Okay, so lots of second guessing happening with the Israelites, right? They, uh, they got to the point where they thought, well, I mean, you know, remember earlier we talked about like going all in, you made the decision, you're going for it, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're like halfway and you're like, oh, wait, maybe it's time to turn around. I did the wrong thing, right? That's what they did. They decided, hey, maybe this is, is, you know, we don't, we can't, yeah, Moses, you don't have, you don't know what you're doing. God, I mean, we're second guessing you, we're, you know, we're worshiping other idols and all these different things are happening. And they decide, hey, let's just go back to Egypt and be back in slavery. And God's like, oh, okay, that's what you want to do? Okay, you know what, the promised land that I told you about, well, those of you that are adults now... You're gonna wander around for forty years, and uh, and you're not gonna to get to go into the promised land. But your kids, they'll be they'll be okay. They'll they'll be they'll be fine. Um, and so, the Israelites were finally given a chance to escape slavery and be led to the promised land. But along the way, they complained, they grumbled, they sinned, they second guessed God's faithfulness, they second guessed uh, Moses' leadership, and all ultimately because of their lack you know, um, of faith and trust in God, many of them were never allowed. To enter into that promise that God had given them, and how often does that happen with us? We begin to second guess something, some kind of blessing, some kind of thing that God wants to do in us or through us, and we begin to question or doubt or fear that um, that we you know can can do that or that we should have that or whatever it may be. Um, and 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 we know that uh, that. You know God loves us but we just kind of second guess and we think I'm not sure um that I can I can do that uh we just we get to the point where um you know God might reveal a plan to us uh, and we know that it's good I mean if you look at Jeremy 20, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, I mean Right there it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And, and God wanted to bless his people there, right? Uh, and he wanted to give them their own land. He wanted to give them their own home. And God wants to bless us too. God wants to give us the things, the heart, the desires of our hearts. He wants us to give us the things that we need and the things that we desire. He wants our lives to be fulfilled and full of purpose and meaning, each and every one of us. And too often, though, just like the Israelites, uh, we second-guess him. We wonder if he really cares. We wonder if he's really listening. That happens to me a lot. Sometimes I, I don't know, when things are not going the way I want them to go, I begin to wonder, okay, God, do you really care? Like, just little old me, I'm just another guy on this planet out of millions and millions of people, Right? God, are you really listening? Like when I am like deeply in like crying out to you because of something, do you really listen to me? Can you hear me? Are you there? And I guarantee you I'm not the only one that ever feels this way. I'm sure every single one of us from time to time in our life has felt that struggle. Has felt does God care? Is he really listening? Does he even know that I exist? He does. we see, when things don't go the way that we want or in the time frame that we want, that's when we second-guess him, right? We think we know better, but God knows best. So going back to our checklist about how to avoid second-guessing ourselves um, and God, number two is this. Trust God. He will never leave you. Even when the Israelites worshipped false idols, even when they sinned against him, they turned their backs on God, he was still there. When we, when I second guess God, he's still there. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, "'So be strong and courageous, do not be afraid "'and do not panic before them, "'for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. "'He will neither fail you nor abandon you.'" Now that scripture, I don't wanna take this out of context because that's not cool. That is Moses talking to the people who are getting ready to go into the promised land. Right, the the last image that we saw up there with Moses making that last final speech, he's like, I can't go, but you guys are going to go. And here's the deal, be strong, be courageous. Don't be afraid and don't panic, for the Lord your God will personally, personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And so This scripture, with Moses giving the speech uh, to those who are going to get to cross into that promised land, right? And he's also about to make Joshua the leader. He's letting them know that through all of their trials, through all of the 40 years of their second guessing that they had, or at least their parents had, God is still with them. And in fact, he's going to lead them into the promise. And I believe this scripture still holds truth for today God does not want me for you, for us, to be afraid when He puts a plan into place for our lives. He wants us to trust in Him. He wants us to know that He will personally go before us and lead us as we go. And He's not going to fail us and He's not going to to abandon us. Pastor Bill, if you want to come up and just play some music in the background. my prayer for each and every one of us today is just simply this. Especially, and like I said, this is, when God puts this kind of stuff on my heart, it's because I know it's what I'm dealing with. And so, um, my prayer for all of us today is that um, we will quit, number one, second-guessing ourselves. In God's eyes, He created you. He knows everything about you, and He doesn't make junk. And I hope also, and my prayer also, is that we quit second-guessing God. My hope is that all of us will have crazy faith, right? Like uh, like David did when he slayed uh, Goliath. My prayer for myself is that um, I'll trust God more. That I will find in me and find in him that those the things that He has laid out for me, that I won't second-guess myself, and I won't second-guess Him. I don't know what your prayer for yourself is, but as we are just kind of winding this down, if you guys want to close your eyes, whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter, you can stare at me, I don't care either, but just think about the things that you're facing in life right now, whether it's a decision that you need to make, or it's something that you, maybe you're starting a new job, maybe you're looking for a job, maybe you're thinking about moving somewhere else, maybe you're getting ready to go to college somewhere. Uh, You've got different things ahead of you that God is like laying out there. Are you fully trusting him? Or are you second guessing yourself? Maybe you're second guessing that decision. Is this the right job for me? Am I choosing the right college? I can't answer those questions for you, but I can tell you this. God has plans for you, and they're good plans. They're great plans. They're they're, they're plans for a a good future and a good hope. And so if you're second-guessing those things, but yet somehow you know that God told you that thing, then just embrace it and go for it. Don't wander around for 40 years wasting your life like the Israelites did. Just go for it, because then you get to step into that promise, right? You don't stand around wondering, crud, what would it have been like on that other side of that river? I missed it, I missed the opportunity because I second-guessed myself, and I second-guessed God, and I didn't go for it. And maybe in your life, You already have that regret. Maybe you didn't go for it when you should have. The only condolence I can give you is this. God isn't through with you yet. There's new things. Every day is new with him, right? So maybe you missed out on some opportunities in the past. You know what? Let it go. The past is the past. You can't bring it back anyways, and you can't change it. But if you trust in God, and you love God, and you realize that you're a child of God, and that he created you to be awesome, and amazing, and wonderful, and powerful and all these things, then you can go into the next thing, go on to that next adventure, go into that next plan that he has for you and jump into it full force. Just go for it. I want to trust God more. And as we close in prayer today, just as you have your heart bowed or whatever, um, again, just think about those decisions that you're facing those crazy far out plans that God has placed in your heart. Don't fear. Believe in yourself. Trust God. Don't second guess. Just go for it. Because God will lead the way if we choose to follow. today I thank you for your example of a young man who was so full of self confidence but also fully confident in you is God I thank you for the example of David as he faced uh, a giant that nobody else would face He went in boldly and he did exactly what he knew that you would allow to happen. God, I pray that I would have faith like that. I pray that um, in my life, where I second guess myself all too often, and I second guess you all too often, that God, you would give me the confidence in you and in myself face the things that you put before me in my life and I pray that for each and every person that's in this room too God that whatever it is that that's coming their way whether it be a job a relationship school whatever God Lord I pray that um, they wouldn't second guess themselves or we, uh, as a church body, um, continue to follow you and wonder what it is that you have in store for this place. I thank you for your faithfulness here, God. And God, help us to truly believe that you are going to do amazing and awesome things to this, this church community. Not for... Our benefit, God, but so that you'll get all the glory. God, help us to be uh, just empty vessels, willing and ready to not second guess you, to not second guess ourselves, but to just go for it and change the world—or at least this little corner of the world that you've given us, God—to make a big difference for you your kingdom and your purposes God I thank you for every person here um, that they are your children and that um, in your eyes they're perfect they're awesome and they're amazing and I pray that each person would realize that that when they look in the mirror uh, that exterior that they see that's just a shell all the wonderful things that you put inside of us God that's who we really are that confidence in who we are dear children I love you and I thank you for this day and I pray that you just go with us as we uh, walk out of here boldly today in Jesus name Amen Thank you guys have a great great week